Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Well, because on March the 20th, we had the same amount of darkness as we did daylight uh, for the first time in 2022. That's called the vernal equinox. And because yesterday we had a full moon, after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox, if you need to keep up with this, we celebrate today Resurrection Sunday. That's why it kind of jumps around a little bit. Sometimes we call it Easter. I probably will before this message is out. I've been asked before, where does the word Easter occur in Scripture? Well, if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, it never does. And I know I'm treading on thin ice here, but it's only in the King James Version of, or maybe some others, but you have to have an older English version. And in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 12, verse 4, they translated the word Pascha as Easter. Now, 22 other times they translated it as Passover, uh, but they translated it as Easter that one time. Uh, Easter is actually not a word that ever occurred in the Hebrew. It didn't exist in the Hebrew or the Greek. It was an old Anglo-Saxon goddess named Estore uh, that became known as the goddess of fertility and in, in in, in the goddess of spring and the goddess of new things growing. And uh, it was said that uh, she could... Uh, uh, just create bunny rabbits, uh, which are symbols of fertility, and um, she could also just create eggs of all different colors, and uh, that's how she was celebrated. But it's a very paganistic idea. So I will say again, we're here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So when I call it Easter, you can just giggle. But that's why we're here. It would be later on that once the church had married itself to the Roman Empire that Easter would become a word that would be used to describe this time because they were bringing together from within the empire all of these pagan days and these Christian celebrations and trying to unite the two. Well, I hope I didn't ruin your egg hunt this evening. But that's the truth if you want to hear it. Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to read from today. Mark chapter 16, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. I notice they cut back on my water. 
what you're trying to say to me. Mark 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, that's not her last name, she was from Magdala. So she was a Magdalene, like we are North Carolina. North Carolinians, North Carolinians, Rutherfordtonians, Mary from Magdala, or the Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome brought spices so that they could, or so they might come and anoint him. The Sabbath had to pass before they could go to the grave site and touch the dead body. It's past. And so here they come. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Maybe they misspelled sun. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Actually, it's just echo, or it's the word had them. It had, it, it had them in its grasp. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We often ask the question, do you know him? And then most of the time, as if we are good uh, evangelicals, we will follow that with some explanation of what does it mean to really know him. As a matter of fact, I would say this. There is probably not a truth in the world that is more important than for us to know the difference between knowing about him and knowing him. I, I, I want to say it again. I don't think there's anything in the world more important. Because of, uh, uh, of the devastation and, and, and the danger of just growing up in life knowing about him, Versus actually knowing him. I, I don't know of a, anything in the world that's more important for us to understand than the difference between knowing about him and actually 
knowing him. Now, yesterday, I had been married 39 years. Loretta and I celebrated our anniversary, and uh, yes, we did. Boy, was it a time. She took a nap on the couch, I took one in the bed. Then I got up and celebrated by watching the dirt race at Bristol. <laughs> I don't even remember. But I can tell you this, it's awesome uh, to be married that long. As a matter of fact, uh, Brother Mike Deese, and we shared this the other night at communion, he and Miss Brenda, we didn't know them then, they were married on the very same day. 39 years ago, they celebrated yesterday, at the very same time, at 2 o'clock. So, if you're new around here, uh, the running joke is that Pastor Deese and I have been married 39 years. To the hour. But it dawned on me one time that the doctors at John Hopkins University know more about me than my wife. It's sad, I know. And I hate to air our family's dirty laundry before you, but my wife had no idea when she married me that in each one of my cells there were six foot, six feet, of DNA strands in every cell in my body. And if you add all of those up, that's about 10 million miles of strands of DNA in my body. This woman married me and had no clue about any of that. She had no idea that, and you see me reading it off, so apparently I didn't know it either. She had no idea that it takes 200 muscles for me just to take a step. Hopefully that'll help her understand now why I don't always take out the trash. She's asking a lot. She has no idea that if I live to be 70, the doctors at John Hopkins says that I will have drank about 12,000 gallons of water. She also doesn't know that my eyes can blink in .0015 seconds. Had no clue about that. As long as I've been blinking. I was blinking before I met her. I've been blinking 39 years right in front of her. And the woman has no clue about any of that. She also doesn't know finally, last of all, that if she were to count my neurons, that's my brain cells, she might have something to say about this one after church. It would take her 3,000 years to just count my brain cells. It's a lot of brain cells, Betty. But Johns Hopkins knows all about that. But they don't know me. They know a lot about me. But this woman right here knows me. We have a relationship. And that's a lot different than just knowing about me. You might know a lot of things about Jesus Christ. But Jesus cares not a straw that you know about him. None of that matters. And you might be thinking, and I hope you are, 
I hope right now you're wondering, well, do I know him or do I just know about him? I grew up learning in VBS and Sunday school and whatever, all about Jesus. I know about Jesus. I know what today is about and all of that. But do I really know him? Apparently, according to this message I'm hearing today, there is a difference, and there certainly is. The Apostle Paul probably sums it up better in Philippians chapter 3, and I want us to just look at that passage before we look at our text for today. In Philippians 3, 9, he's just said that everything else that I know in life, and he was a brilliant man, great education, uh, he said, I count everything that I know outside of my relationship with Christ other than knowing Christ. When I compare all the theological uh, material that is in all of my neurons that would take thousands of years to count. He says, when I consider all of that, he, he, he says, I consider all of that as nothing but rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And the word rubbish, by the way, is, uh, is scubilon. And it is a word that means dung. I count it all but dung. It is nothing uh, but, but horse poo as far as I'm concerned. All of the wonderful things I know. People talk about how brilliant I am. I sat at the feet, he did, of Gamaliel, the great Jewish teacher, the most famous one that we ever even hear about in the New Testament. He taught me personally. I knew more about God than most of those that were there the day of Pentecost. And I was there to help them kill Stephen. But boy, I knew all about God. My problem was they knew God and I didn't. He said, I count it all but rubbish. And then in verse 9, he says, And I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Now, you remember how righteous are we if we know the Lord? 100%. I still see people that won't raise their hands. If you don't know him, don't raise your hand. But if you know Jesus, then when I ask, are you 100% righteous right now, raise both hands. Because I can tell you, yes, you know you are. Because it's not your righteousness. Look what he says. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness which comes from God. On the basis of faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being comforted or conformed, sorry, to his death. In order that I may attain or that I might also one day experience resurrection from the dead. If you're planning on living forever, you better know more than just about him. You better know him. 
you better know him and 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 you better have learned how to experience some of these things yourself that Christ himself went through so let's talk about what does it mean to truly know him to know him to really know him and have a relationship with him is to experience first of all his passion his passion Passio is a word in the Latin that means uh, passion, but it's where we get our word passion. But originally it had less to do with some erotic type of uncontrollable love uh, uh, for something. It it had more to do with suffering. But the word did originally mean that your emotions are totally out of control. That you just can't contain yourself anymore. But originally it was used to describe what we go through when we are in incredible pain. So if you're wondering, why did they call that movie The Passion of the Christ? Why do they call this week The Passion Week? It is because originally the word pasio was a word that meant the, the agonizing, the, you, you're screaming, you can't help it. You're, you're out of, you're beyond self-control. You have lost control of your, your faculties and you're writhing in pain. That's what the passion of Christ is all about. And remember, Jesus said, my invitation is for you. And I to take up our cross and for us to die daily to ourselves and for us to follow him. So I can tell you, first of all, we need to experience his suffering ourselves. I don't mean you just need to go out and have a bad day. No, I mean we have to die to self. That's how you know him. You don't just appreciate something you heard he did for you at Easter time. it's, it's, It's more than that. You don't just make an assumption that, well, yeah, he did that. So one day we, we, we all going to be all right. We're all going to be in heaven together, even those that don't want to go. Uh, they're going to go. And they ought to rub off on them after we sing a few million years. And, and you know, even though they don't know God, don't care about God and all of that. I, I'm just telling you, both heaven and hell are places of torment for people that don't want to worship God. I think we think heaven is just some kind of crazy reward or some kind of of fun or bliss for all mankind. No, it's a place for those who have longed so much to serve him and love him and to know him down here. It is a place where we can go and know him in a way, in a more intimate way there than we've ever known him before. And if that's not what you're wanting, then heaven's probably not for you. I'm tired of answering the question, do you think I can still go to heaven if? I started answering it with a question, why do you want to go? Why do you care about heaven? What is it about heaven that would interest you in the least? We should ask those kinds of questions. Jesus said, my invitation is to come and die. I came and I left where I was in glory. I left where I was large and in charge. I was God when I walked this earth, but I gave up my ability to control every single situation. 
I think God demonstrates his power more in what he didn't do than in what he did do. I mean, you just think about it. When they jerked out his beard, if, if uh, uh, you have a beard, especially if you have a mustache. Oh, my goodness. If you pull my mustache, you can lead me anywhere in this world. Oh, my goodness, it is so tender, and it hurts. And when they ripped out his beard, do you know what God could have said to the person that, that did that? He could have said, mm, 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 mm. Now, you don't touch my beard. That sounds like us, Don. Now you can mess with, you know, my coon dog, but don't mess with my beard. He could have said, you touch my beard one more time, and I'll send you to another galaxy far, far away. One that's not even heard of Star Wars. He gave up his ability to control every situation. That's what dying daily is for us. We give up our ability to be in charge and to always be right and to always have our way. That's what coming and dying on the cross is. And I will tell you this, church. Churches are awfully preoccupied, and they have been ever since I've been a pastor. And even I remember growing up as a kid in church and seeing this. We are awfully preoccupied with people who have never experienced a good Friday in their life. They have not died to self. They come in church with two handfuls of rights and expectations and, 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 and they, they expect to be the center of what is going on and they expect to be heard. Phone calls need to be returned promptly. Uh, ideas need to be heard and if, and, and if any way possible, my ideas need to be implemented. I need to know I have a say. Uh, th that's what led the churches voting on everything from who's going to be a pastor to what kind a lawnmower belt will buy. It led to all of that foolish, unbiblical trash. And churches are still dealing with high-maintenance individuals who've never taken up their cross and died to anything. You're a handful. Boy, it's tough. If you want to really know him, you experience his passion. Secondly, experience his purpose. He came to die for our sins. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I am the savior of the world. That's what he came here to do, to seek and save, to glorify God by dying on the cross for our sins. And he is the way and he is the only way. And I will tell you something. If you are willing to say that and you're willing to preach that, get ready for your second big experience. Jesus says the world will hate you because first of all, they hated me. They didn't hate me because I fed people that were hungry. They didn't hate me because I healed people that were sick. Now, they hated him because he did it on the Sabbath day sometime. But in doing it on the Sabbath day, and in like Mark chapter 2, where he before he even healed the man, he says, your sins 
are forgiven. When he did things like that, he was declaring without a doubt that I am God Almighty. I am the creator of the universe. And you might only see some carpenter's kid from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, when he preached in Nazareth, they even said, is this not Joseph's son? The little kid that used to run around his shop. That was all they saw when they looked at him. But I think it's really cool that in Mark five when Jesus meets the demoniac on the shore there where of the gatherings that the demons inside that man knew exactly who had just stepped out of that boat and began to cry out immediately uh, Jesus son of God what do we have to do with you oh they knew who he was they knew exactly who he was. If we preach that kind of gospel, I can tell you, if you tell people, and, and nowadays, oh, that's not real popular. And oh, I know I meet people all the time. These new progressive types. Progressive's new, but the type is not. They've been around a long time. But it's this new thing about, well, Jesus is a way. And, but Muslims... They, they have their Jesus, and, 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 and then they say Buddhists have their... Buddhists don't even believe in God. Did you know that? Get, a, get another illustration at least. Try not to look really dumb when you say these things. All Hindus, they have a God. A God? My goodness, you need to count them again. They got more gods than we have neurons. It's so easy. Jesus says, no. If you are going to know me, you're going to have to stand up and declare why I'm here. When he died on the cross, they didn't hang a bread basket around his neck. They put a crown of thorns on him. Why? Because he himself had declared himself to be king. Not some rumor the Jews made up. They put a robe of purple on him, not some social worker's uniform, because he was much more than that. He was a savior. And because he said he was, they tried to mock him. And they put a staff in his hand as well. Not, not, not made for just some teacher or some rabbi, but a staff represented a scepter that, let's give him a, a reed for a scepter. We'll dress him up like a king because that's who he said he was. Jesus says, I did say that is who I was. The difference is a lot of people had come and said they were God. Jesus was God. And he is the way and the only way for anybody to have a relationship with God. Preach that. Experience that. And you'll start to know him instead of just know about him. Experience, thirdly, his peace. His peace. The angel sitting at the tomb said to the ladies, fear not. Don't, don't be afraid. And I love this, says, go and tell his disciples in verse 7. And I think the coolest two words in the whole passage is, and Peter. Tell the disciples, and, and Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. 
Why designate him? Why separate him? Why add his name as an addition to the disciples and Peter? Well, this angel knew old Peter had a rough three days. He had denied even knowing the Lord. Make sure you tell Peter that his Savior is alive and well. He didn't want me to die. He said, oh no, you would never die. We would never let that happen to you. And you remember, Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, who? Get behind me, Satan. That's the same passage where people in the Catholic Church claim Jesus called him the Pope. I'm like, well, which is it? Is he the Pope or is he Satan? They're just about three verses apart. Peter was about to know his peace. These women were about to understand his peace. I can tell you, friend, you will know that you know him when you get up every day of your life and you know without a doubt that if I don't live to see the sun go down as I have seen it come up, it will be all right. Because I will be with him. Yes. And, and, and it's not some. It's not some hope. Oh no. The people that know about him. When they die. They're planning on. Going over here to a set of scales. And, and standing nervously in line. And they're going to have their good and their bad weight. And oh, I hope, oh man, I think that one cuss word might take me over the top. They're going to have their good and their bad weight. And if their good outweighs their bad, they get to come into heaven. St. Peter's going to run all of that. You, you've heard the stories. That is a ridiculous, unbiblical notion. We have been weighed, but it's already happened. And you know what I always say. If you'd like to know how it turned out, it wasn't good. Because we were waiting, we were found out to be sinners. Every last one of us. And it didn't matter. James tells us some may have broken a lot of laws. Some may have broken less laws. But we all broke the law. James says it's not like a window with a bunch of individual panes that you can walk up to. Uh, Mr. Hypocritical Christian and go, well, I've never broken that pain. I know I'm not perfect. When somebody starts off like that, you know you, you need to get your pen out and write this down. It's about it's some good theology about to pull out of that mouth. If he can keep his foot out of it long enough. Well, I've never done that. I know I'm not perfect, but I can tell you right now, these child molesters out here, boy, they ought to take them and said the same thing. I got news for you, friend. When you break the law of God, you don't break this pain and this one. And oh, I've never done that one. No, it's like this window right here. When you break one little pain, you broke it all. Understanding his peace is knowing that all of that is covered. By his death on the cross. And that you are 100% righteous. No, I'm not going to shut up about it. 
You can walk to my grave someday and say, well, he finally shut up about it. No, I'm just somewhere else praising God for it. We're 100% righteous because we were 100% sorry and worthless. In Christ, we've received his righteousness. After experience, his passion, his purpose, his peace, his promise. Verse 6, it says, he has risen. He has risen. Sometimes I hear people say that, well, the women had forgotten. He said that. No, they hadn't forgotten it. They didn't believe it. That's, that's why when I look at Scripture, man, you can so tell it's not just made up. You can so tell that they all didn't just get together one day, a bunch of early church people, and say, all right, let's, let's pour us a good stout cup of coffee and let's write us a Bible. But let's make sure we don't make ourselves look like idiots. <laughs> they never did that. I, I, I'd be suspicious if they had a... If I were reading passages like, well, the women knew he had risen from the dead and they were laughing in the soldiers' faces on the way over to the tomb that morning and they weren't carrying spices, they were, they were carrying uh, wine and bread for a celebration of an empty tomb. I'd be like, really? They believed it that easily? No, they didn't believe it at all. I'm so glad that's in Scripture. I'm so glad there's so many times the disciples look like idiots. That, that gives me hope. Really. And they put it in Scripture. It's in the Word of God. They hadn't forgotten. They had gone there, though, and here's the point, to perfume a dead Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea had already taken between 75 and 100 pounds of perfume to anoint his body. And he didn't get finished with it. So the ladies go to anoint his body again. Because back in that day, they didn't uh, generally embalm people if you were Jewish. And so they would try to keep that body preserved as long as they could. And they kept it wrapped tight in a cloth, and they would keep perfuming that body. But they knew deep down inside this dear loved one is actually dead. We're just trying to make it smell as good as we can. I see people still doing that. Oh, I don't believe, preacher, now that Jesus was really the Son of God. And I don't think he rose from the dead. I think that's something that the disciples kind of made up, but... Boy, he was a great teacher. That's what you're doing. When you start talking about Jesus like he was Gandhi or, oh, he was a good man. He came and gave us an example to live by. You're just perfuming a corpse, friend. If you don't really believe that he rose from the dead, that he defeated death, hell, and the grave, you don't have a savior. All you've got is a Gandhi on steroids. You just got an example to follow. You just got some teachings that you can read. But I can tell you, because he did rise from the dead, he is our savior. Yeah. Stop. 
perfuming a corpse. You're the one that stinks when you talk like that. Really? And, and, and if you're lost and out in the world and all of that, look, I, I, I got all the patience in the world for you. But I can tell you right now in Rutherford County, I'll guarantee you there are people sitting in churches right now celebrating what they would certainly call Easter. But deep down inside, they think spiritually, his, 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 his spirit still lives on. His teachings still live on. Yeah, that, that's right. But they really can't wrap their mind around. And no, uh, he came out of that tomb alive. Sometimes life is worse than death, but nothing's more final than death. And Jesus Christ overcame it. Quit worshiping a corpse. You're going to need a whole lot of perfume to make that religion not smell. Experience also his power. Verse 6, they said he has risen. He has overcome death. He has risen from the dead. And I'm going to skip on to the last point, but I, I have to tell you that's the thing that we have to experience as well Paul said in Colossians 3 if you have been risen with Christ that means the old you has died and there is a new you that walks with Christ that, that, that that's what becoming a Christian is do we get that make sure that we do the old you has died and there's a new you that has been raised to walk with Christ it's so confusing nowadays because it's almost like nobody ever dies and goes to hell anymore. Every funeral you go to, it's, it is like, well, the person didn't interject God much into his or her life, so we're going to interject as much God as we can into the funeral. And they talk about, well, we know that she got saved because one day, uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, Preacher Mike came over there and, and he prayed with her. I think that was it. Really? Is that, is, that, is, is that your understanding of salvation? I, I, I don't even like asking anymore, well, well, when did this person get saved? What if we started asking, when did this person die to self? And when was this person raised spiritually and started living like a brand new person that had never existed before? And even though they fail God every day, when was it that this individual started living for Jesus with all their heart? When was it that he became the center of their life when was it that nothing else mattered but their relationship with God could you could you put a date on that maybe don't bring your lost loved ones in here for a funeral and beg us to break out the perfume that's not what we're called to do we're called to preach the truth. Called to preach the truth. And then last of all, we need to experience his presence. The angel said he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. Oh, he's not just going to go to heaven. He's going to stay. 
Stay for a little while. He said, he's gone ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You'll see him there, the new and resurrected Lord. When you experience that, man, wouldn't it be cool, guys? I'll just talk to you because I'm a guy. I know how hard-headed we can be. Wouldn't it be cool if some of your old friends came over to drink some beer and whatever, party a while, have a hoot or all, whatever, I don't know. Wouldn't it be cool one day for them to all show up and your wife says, well, the one you were looking for is not here anymore. He died. And he's been raised to a new life. He don't live like that anymore. He'd love to see you. <laughs> He's gone to the mall to buy Preacher Mike something for pastor appreciation. <laughs> I just throwing that in there. <laughs> in October. <laughs> Jot that down with that full moon thing and all that, okay? What if she looked at your old friends and said, that guy, oh yeah, that you know, used to go to church and live one way there and then he was totally something else when he hung out with you heathens. You know, you loved him because he could just fit in so well anywhere. He's dead. And there's a new husband. Got a new husband. He's not here anymore. I got a new wife. New son or daughter. Because he died. She died. God's raised him from the dead. I bet there are parents sitting here right now. I know you are. You pray every day of your life for that, don't you? Don't you? That one day when my son's friends come over, I can look at him and say, the one you're looking for don't exist anymore. He's gone. He died, and he's been raised to walk with Christ. He's a new person. He's a new person. So I'm going to ask you as I close, do you know him or do you know about him? That's important. You will never answer a question in your life more important than that. Never in your life. Getting that straight. When you do that, the rest is rubbish. Really. Nothing else will matter. Boy, Easter of 2022 would be a good day to get that right. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Focus on the Lord and what we've heard today. I'm not going to lead you in a 
prayer for you to repeat. But maybe right now in your own words, you'd just like to whisper to God. Oh, we don't care if you say it out loud. We don't care if you shout it. But you can whisper it. Maybe right now you'd like to say, God, I want to know you. I know about you and it's done nothing for my life very much. Maybe it's kept me from a few sins. Maybe it's made me treat others on this world, in this world with decency, but as far as having a transformed life, it's never really done it. And maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering why. I, I went to church too. I was baptized, and, and, and why is it I, I just couldn't, I just can't ever seem to get it right? Maybe you'd just like to say to the Lord right now, God, I can't get it right. All I can tell you is I want to die to me. I want to give up my ability to control people and things around me. I want to surrender. And God, I want you to touch my heart and life. And I want you to let your death pay for my sin. And I want right now, God, to receive your perfect righteousness that comes by faith. Because I am putting my faith and my trust in you today. You simplify that however you want. One man, all he said was, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. One man just said, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was never said the same way twice in all of the Gospels or anywhere else in Scripture. So you say it your way. But you've heard the message today. Don't leave here just knowing about him. Hell's full of people that know about him. Know him. Lord, I come to you right now and I pray for that soul, whoever they may be this morning that is struggling right now. Maybe they never even planned on hearing what they heard today. Maybe they never, ever anticipated that they would feel like they feel right now. Or maybe they're tempted to just get up and run. I, I don't know, God. It's just that you have a, it, it's like they have been confronted with you and confronted with the truth, God. I pray right now that you would just reach out your arms to them and call them to yourself. Lord, let them know right now that you brought them here today. Of all days, you brought them here today because you had something to say. You wanted them to know the difference between knowing about you and knowing you. God, I pray right now you just embrace that sinner like you did this one right here. I pray, God, that you would save them. And they would surrender their life to you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.